the world needs you. The world needs you, Pranav, and the world needs everybody else to show up and to share your gifts because we can't do this alone. We're not alone, and we can't do this alone. And there is a lot of crazy stuff out there, especially right now, and people need hope. My name is Pranam Atatkar and this is Embrace Your Lazy. This podcast will turn your dreams into reality by helping you realize that we are lazy and perfect human beings and by teaching you habits to use laziness to your advantage. Today on the show, we have Melanie Klinghoffer. Melanie is a human dynamics and conflict resolution expert, helping professionals and leaders improve their lives and work by cultivating healthy personal relationships and positive workplace cultures. We talked, a, we talked about a lot of really interesting stuff in this podcast episode. We talked about vulnerability, authentic speaking, and why your stories are important, and more. Now, before we start, I just want to say, stay till the end, where we give you takeaways from this interview you can apply to your life today. And if interviews aren't your jam, that's okay. Check out my audio essays, which I think are different than anything else out there right now. Please consider subscribing, writing a review, and letting me know what you think. Here's Melanie. I really, really love your speeches, and I'm always trying to go whenever I see your name as a speaker, is because I think that you have this really kind of unique ability that I don't see from most speakers unless they're like really really professional like ted talk you know getting millions and millions of views on youtube um i don't i don't usually see it um you have this ability to put enough distance between something that's really personal that happened in your life but at the same time evoke what it felt like to be there in a way that as an audience member it really allows me to empathize with you I think that's one of the things that you're very particularly good at. Um, so I kind of wanted to start this podcast asking you about those kind of bearing your soul types of speeches that you give that that I, you know, I think that was the first speech that I ever saw you give that I really, really loved. Um, and that's something that I am trying to get better at. And I think a lot of my listeners, um, uh, you know, it's it's hard to be vulnerable and authentic without giving yourself away too much. Um, so before we talk about the speeches themselves, I, I, I kind of just wanted to know, you know, when you are debating ideas for speeches or stories for speech, how much kind of emotional distance do you need to be able to make sure that a personal event in your life would make for a good story? Um, it's a really important question for anyone who wants to engage the audience through authenticity. I learned 
the value of sharing personal stories from internationally renowned uh, motivational speaker Les Brown. I attended his speaker summit in 2007, which is a three-day professional speaking workshop where he takes you through um, the business, the speaking, the business of um, speaking, as well as how to create a keynote and become a successful speaker that really engages your audience. So my introduction to sharing stories came from listening to him, and I originally saw him at a commencement um, ceremony, and he was the keynote speaker, and I was infused with this feeling after hearing him speech that I had, uh, to hearing him speak that I had never heard before, or had never felt before, sorry. And so I knew that he had something really special, and that's why I attended his speaker summit. That was my first introduction in understanding the power of story and how emotions move the audience to take the action that you want them to take. So I knew that I would need to get to a point where I could share stories that would move the audience. And there's, you know, you either tell stories about yourself or you tell stories about other people. And I do a mix of both. And it took me, it was a lot easier for me to tell stories about other people than it was to talk about myself at first. And then I, I gradually sort of eased into sharing more and more of my personal story and things that I knew would be valuable to the audience. And I think there's two other, two other people that really had an impact on my ability to open up and start to share my stories. One of them is vulnerability researcher Brene Brown. She wrote several books, including Daring Greatly, The Gifts of Imperfection, um, and so she has a saying that really resonated with me, which was owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we'll ever do. And, you know, I, I'd been watching her TED Talks and really embracing her message and, and her material, which helped me understand that when we hold secrets and we aren't authentic, we carry shame. And when you're able to release that shame by sharing your story, you can be seen for who you really are. I did a lot of work around that on myself. And then the other person is uh, another professional speaker by the name of Jeff Salt. And I attended a workshop with him called Heart-Centered Speaking or Heart-Centered Speaker Workshop. And he said something that really changed the course of my speaking. I had been holding back quite a bit because I was afraid I would cry on stage. My story is pretty tender and it goes pretty deep. And like so many people, there was a lot of healing of wounds and, and a deep, deep uh, transformation in emotions. And I, I wasn't sure how to carry that on stage without hurting the audience or propelling them away from me as opposed to engaging them and drawing them in. And he said something during that workshop that changed how I approached the entire situation, which was don't retell your story, relive it, but don't do that if you're still bleeding. So don't just retell it, really relive it so the audience can feel your emotions and the depth of the impact and carry the message with them when they leave, but don't do it until you're healed or at least close to being healed because if you're still bleeding from that wound, you can't deliver a message that has a lesson in it. It's too painful, and it scares people. So when I go to look at what am I going to share or how am I going to share it, I look at, one, am I still bleeding? 
And if I'm still bleeding, I'm not going to share the story, meaning if I'm still healing that wound, it's too deep. Um, or, and if I am healed from it or close enough to being healed from it, can I retell it so that the audience can really go along with me on that journey as opposed to just retelling it? Um, I think the best example I can give is I had done a tremendous amount of healing work around um, a painful divorce and some relationship losses with my father, and I had done a tremendous amount of work surrounding that. So I could start to talk about that and some of the things that had happened to me in childhood and things like that. And so I did so much healing work through professional therapy and support support groups like Al-Anon, which is for friends and family of alcoholics, and deep transformational workshops and seminars and reading and workshops and books and all of those things that I had done so much healing from all of those wounds, I felt comfortable enough to share the lessons and tell the stories. But in 2007, I lost the relationship with my twin brother. And up until recently, just this year, I hadn't been able to talk about it. It was still so painful, and I still felt like the wound was bleeding. And therefore, I could not talk about it on stage. It was way too vulnerable, and it was just something I could not burden the audience with. I'm starting to talk about it on stage, but it's a slow process. And until I know that that wound is healed and I can deliver the lessons, then I won't, you know, I won't weigh the audience down with that because it's not fair to them and it won't engage them at the level I want to engage them. Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a really good point. I really like uh, um, that idea that you got to relive it, but not if you're bleeding. I think that's... That's a um, really important point. Uh, you mentioned something earlier that I kind of want to take a step back and talk about. Uh, you talked about that initially it was easier for you to tell other people's stories and then mm-hmm. slowly you started transitioning into telling more personal stories. And that's kind of where I'm at right now in that I think it is much easier for me since I watch a lot of movies and I read a lot of books to pull out stories that I really like and inject them in my speeches but I've been finding that I'm hitting a roadblock when I'm forced to tell my stories really well so I guess what were the first couple steps that led you or um, that taught you how to tell slowly transition to telling more personal stories on stage I think there's a few approaches. One of them, I obviously was joining Toastmasters International, which is an organization, the authority in communication and leadership, and that's how you and I met. And being able to speak safely in in an environment where people were really encouraging and supportive and understood that um, criticism needed to be helpful, not hurtful. And it's like dipping your toe in the water, right? I would tell a, 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 a... a story about myself that wasn't too extreme and wasn't too vulnerable, but just enough to test out to see how it landed. And then when I would get feedback, it would give me confidence to start to tell more of that story. Or, and then I would start to incorporate some analogies and some references. For example, there's a character in the movie Something's Gotta Give, and there's a part in the movie where she really talks about what it's um, – Diane Keaton and, and Jack Nicholson, and they're in the kitchen, and she, he, he sees her for the first time for who she is, and then she realizes he actually recognizes 
who she is as a person. And, you know, he, he goes through this, this saying and, and he was like, you know, when your defenses are up or when your defenses are down and you're who you're supposed to be, that's your, com- you know, dangerous combination. And I, I would use that and I would be, I would say something to the effect of, I'm sort of like the character and something's got to give. I have these defenses up, but when I feel safe in an environment and comfortable, I can let those down, and that's my winning combination. So I would use the movie and the characters in the movie to then piggyback on my own experience. Hmm. That's, a, that's a great point. I think I'm going to use that for my, <laughs> my next speech. Um, not that particular s- story, but that idea of allowing um, a different story from a movie and book and, and connecting that to to mm-hmm. personal experience. Um, and, and I guess the, the, the other thing I kind of wanted to um, touch on about, about this and kind of ask you is when we have personal stories, right, we see them initially as chronological events, right? Mm-hmm. This happened and then this happened and then this happened and then that happened. I guess how do you approach taking that event in your life and trimming it and editing it in such a way that it comes across as most impactful. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I know that if you just tell the event, you can you know, have an audience that really, really empathizes with you and they can take a lot away. But if you work it a little bit and massage it, they can even have more, it can have even more of an impact. So how do you kind of approach that? It was really hard for me in the beginning, and it's still something that I'm working on. I'm, I, you know, I think it depends what kind of, you know, thinker you are, and I'm very, you know, um, I, I, I view things chronologically, so I tell my stories chronologically, and it's taken a lot of work to hone the skill of pulling out the, the gold, the, the golden nuggets that really make a difference. And I look at a few different things. I look at who's going to be in the audience. I look at what the context of the environment is in the speech. I look at what message I want them to truly leave with. And then I seek out mentors to help me rearrange the story in a way that's not as chronological and actually makes sense. So I, you know, I'll, I'll develop the speech and then I'll, I'll practice it with people that can give me that support. And I also, there's some books that I, I have used to help me figure out how to write those kind of speeches, for example, one of them is called World Class Speaking by Craig Valentine and Mitch Meyerson. And so that really helped me understand how to develop a, a, a well-rounded speech, as did The Message of You by Judy Carter. Those two books really helped me start to, to develop my speeches in different ways. Toastmasters, advanced manuals, once you get past their basic program, their advanced manuals also help you with that. But I... I encourage people to really start watching videos of powerful speakers. So any speakers that have won any of the World Championship of Public Speaking through Toastmasters have taken a part of their story or somebody else's story, and they've pared it down to a five- to seven-minute speech in a very impactful way. And I just, I watched, I can, I will tell you, hundreds of hours of speeches now between TED Talks and um, YouTube videos and world championship speeches and DVDs of just various speakers and how they pair their messages down. And it's taken a long time for me to understand the lessons from the stories. What Sometimes what I think is the lesson is not actually the lesson that the audience 
is going to receive or, or needs to hear. So I really gauge it as I go along, and I change it, and I, I pay attention. You know, I debrief after every speech. I debrief with myself, and I, I ask myself what landed well with the audience, what didn't, what didn't resonate. And, and that's, that's sort of how I've, I've worked on developing those speeches. I kind of I kind of want to emphasize that point because I think one of the things now that you just said it that I learned from you and one or two others in Toastmasters is that the people who are very good at deconstructing what is great and what is not so great in speech are usually the ones that deliver the best speeches. Mm -hmm. So in Toastmasters we have evaluations where somebody will come up and evaluate a speech that's just been given and you're one of the people who by far gives really good evaluations. And I think I've noticed, which is something I picked up for you, that you, eva in evaluating other people, you remind yourself of your own pitfalls. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing things, it seems like you're taking your own advice, like you're imagining <laughs> uh, yourself evaluating your speech. Um, and I think the other thing I, I've seen you do too is that you give speeches multiple times. So you'll kind of like a stand-up comedian, you know, stand-up, comedians go to like a small club like their favorite club and they listen mm -hmm. to where what gets the best laugh so when you see a comedy special on netflix it's all the jokes that have gotten huge laughs so it's been vetted and i think what i see in your speech is like progression i've seen you give a speech and then you kind of cut some stuff out because you didn't think the audience got that or didn't resonate or wasn't clear so your third time around it's a really kind of just like greatest hits kind of album speech where you're just giving right. the best funniest things and the mo things that are most um, empathetic most resonant etc so I think uh, that those are two things that I've um, learned from you from thank watching, you yeah watching I, I what I would add to that thank you very much I'm, I'm so glad to hear that it's been helpful to you and to others you know a few things which is obviously practice 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 and you can't get good at something unless you dedicate yourself to it and, and really focus on improvement. I think there's two different things that came to mind when you were just speaking, which one is empathy. And empathy is, when I'm evaluating another speaker, I, I'm putting myself in their shoes because I've been there. And so it's easy for me to connect with what might really work for them. And so I try to empathize with their struggle or their skill level because I've been there. I mean, I didn't start out as a professional speaker, and it's taken me a long time to hone new skills. And I still have a tremendous amount of growth um, that needs to happen to, to get to where I really want. And I think it's a lifetime process, truthfully. And then the other thing is just um, is knowing that, you know, there's different skill levels. And you can't help other people grow unless you acquire those skills yourself. I really believe that. So, um, you know, and the other thing that came to mind when you were just talking, and I think this is a really important point for people, and I might go on a little bit, so feel free to cut me off, but one of the shifts that happened for me as a speaker was when I finally stopped speaking for myself and started speaking for the audience. And what I mean by that is, is I was really self-conscious. I was really worried about what people would think. I was concerned about whether they would uh, accept me and whether or not my message was coming across to everyone in the room. And when I finally released all of that and realized that my message isn't for everybody, it's for the people that need to hear it. 
And the people in the audience that aren't necessarily ready for that message or it's not intended for them will find a message from another speaker that will resonate with them. So my fear of being criticized was released when I realized that. And again, Brene Brown is somebody who helped me. She, she helped me with that because I watched a video of her speaking at 99U. Um, and the title of her speech was Why Your Critics Aren't the Ones Who Count. And she said something in that speech that was life-altering when it came to me releasing the fear of humiliation and judgment from others and criticism and really getting comfortable with speaking to the people in the audience that were ready and willing to hear my message, which was, if you aren't in the arena also getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. Hmm. And that released a lot of fear for me because it's sort of like if you're going to judge me for making a mistake when I'm speaking or saying something you don't like or I'm the one on stage having the courage to share these vulnerable moments with you and these really personal stories. And if, if you can't have empathy and hold the space for me, your feedback is not going to come in. I'm not going to allow it to come in to impact or change the course of what I'm trying to help others with. That's such a, such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. One of the things that we, I always say we, when I talk about embrace your lazy, I don't know why it just sounds more official. (laughs) I always say, (laughs) I always say we, uh, but that's, that's one of the things that uh, we always talk about on this podcast is the, the idea that if you're too general with anything, right? Speeches is one thing. Um, I'm starting to learn marketing. That's another thing. Business. If you're, when you start off, if you're too general, you're going to get nothing because you don't want people who are, oh, you know, she's good. You want 10 people who are going to say, wow, she changed my life rather than Mm -hmm. having a hundred people that are going to say, oh, you know, she's pretty good. So I really, really, that's, that was a really good point that, that you brought up. And here's how, you know, when you're finally doing that, when the, when people come up to you after you speak, and instead of saying you're a really good speaker, they start to tell you their own story. Mm. And when they start to you're tell right. you your own story and why, they, why what you said resonated with them and connected with them, you know that you have finally reached what you want to be accomplishing in your speaking. When Pete, you know, I would get comments all the time, which were very valuable, and I appreciate people saying, oh, you're a powerful speaker. You have such great energy. You're amazing. You're impactful. Beautiful comments, not downplaying those at all. But when people started coming to me and going, wow, I know what it's like to overcome the battle or fight the battle of depression, and I'm in it right now, and your story helped me so much, or I know what it's like to come from an environment where um, there's codependency because of alcoholism and drug abuse and how limiting it can be on your self-esteem, and I'm going through that right now, and what you just said really, really helped me, and when you start to get people coming to you with those kind of comments, you know you're on the right path. Yeah, you're you're right. I, I um I think that's actually thankfully, um, a shift that I've been noticing uh in, mm-hmm. in myself. I think you're right. When a story is really well told, whether you know, whatever type of story it is, you're not gonna talk about how good it was technically you're not gonna say wow that speech was really well organized you're gonna just be blown away by the speech and, mm-hmm. and that's I think what you're really really talking about and it kind of leads me 
to my next question, which is good. I, I guess you uh, um, knew where I was going. Um, I tend, I think this may, maybe uh, I'm generalizing a little bit too much, but I, I think this is a little bit of a, a masculine problem in that I, you talked about reliving the experience. And obviously, in certain situations, I've had many different emotional moments. And I used to act. And when I acted, for whatever reason, playing a different character, I was able to bring that emotion into how they played stuff. But when I have to be up on stage personally giving something, even if I'm telling a personal story, it seems to me that when I give it or... um, other men give speeches there's like a little bit of a distance in that they're not letting themselves truly be emotional with delivering the speech and that is impediment in connecting with the audience um so this is a little bit of a difficult question but are there any conscious kind of things you do to make sure you're actually reliving the experience instead of just telling the story from a couple steps back if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I've heard this from different men along the path. And so I think it's it's a common challenge. And I think society puts that pressure on men to be so strong that when they, you know, leaning into vulnerability is oftentimes really hard. And um, there's this, you know, this, this sort of belief that men need to be strong and not show emotions. And I think that's really limiting when you are doing something like speaking to an audience that you really want to deeply connect with because to connect it really requires leaning in and feeling your feelings and sharing and vulnerability and things like that to really deeply connect and so some of the things that I did and I don't you know I I would imagine they're universal regardless of gender because I've coached men in their speaking and they've found it to be helpful which is one um, do the work necessary on your own or with you know, professionals and or friends or support groups or to heal your wounds before you get on stage, like we talked about earlier. You know, don't go up there bleeding so that you can relive it and not just retell it. And two, you know, so the second thing was whenever I'm speaking and I know I'm going to be sharing something really vulnerable, I find somebody in the audience that feels safe. Sometimes I'll talk to them before and say, hey, I may, I may direct my attention to you when I'm telling this so I can have eye contact with somebody that feels safe to me mm-hmm. while I'm sharing it. And sometimes I tell people beforehand and sometimes I don't. I just land on somebody I know will hold that, what I call hold that space for me. It's sort of like a, a, a container of safety that I can, I can look at them and I can hold space with them and I know I'm going to keep it together. So, for example, I delivered my grandfather's eulogy on my dad's side. And it was a very deep, um, deeply emotional uh, eulogy. And there were funny parts, and there were deep stories, and there were some very um, risky parts that I knew I could come unglued and really begin to cry. And so I had a friend who was, who was at the funeral service, and I locked eyes with her midway through when I knew that there was a part that I thought I was going to cry through. And through that part, I just locked my gaze with her, and she held me in that moment while I delivered the message. And then I was fine and I was able to move on and I didn't lose it. I had a moment of catch, you know, where it got caught in my throat and a couple tears welled up in my eyes, but locking in with her helped me move through that moment. 
So, and I've put myself in the same situation you have where I've imagined myself being somebody else telling the story. And I think that's just a tool for confidence building. And I think it's fine. I think you can power pose. Amy Cuddy has a TED Talk on power posing and the courage that it gives you, you know, before you go into a stressful environment, which means, you know, you either put your hands up in, in the air like a V or a Y and or put it on your hips like Wonder Woman. And that gives you that adrenaline and that boost of confidence that you can use. Again, I think that you have to be ready to tell the story and relive it. You have to be able to relive it. You have to be ready to relive it. And and then you find different tools that help you do that. It's scary. I, I don't want to minimize that walking on stage to talk about something so personal can be terrifying. And if there wasn't a greater purpose, if you're doing it for sympathy, that's not the reason to do it. You're not going to connect with your audience. If you're doing it for connection for and to empathize with what other people are going through and cultivate um, this sense of really contributing to their growth and their development, then it becomes easier to share those stories. So before I just kind of wanted to ask, you know, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. I've learned. I learned a lot. I think anybody listening will learn so, so much and have um, a lot of takeaways from this. Um, Do you have any last advice for, for me or anybody listening to this podcast? Um, yes. (laughs) Um, I would tell you that the world needs you. The world needs you, Pranav, and the world needs everybody else to show up and to share your gifts because we can't do this alone. We're not alone, and we can't do this alone. And there is a lot of crazy stuff out there, especially right now. And people need hope and inspiration and motivation and support and love and peace and all of those things. And I know in my journey, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. For a long time, I tried to do it alone. I was very isolated. I didn't understand that asking for help and receiving it was strong, not weak. And when I finally realized I couldn't do it alone anymore, it had gotten so bad that all of my hope was lost and inspiration gone. And I just knew I I had two choices. It could get really bad and end badly, or it could get really good and go well if I just finally released my need to do it alone and ask for help. And so I did, and there were so many people willing to help me and stepped in and offered me guidance and support and love and safety and protection. And when I finally allowed that in, my life transformed. And my, I reclaimed my power, and I was able to heal And then now, because of all of that, I'm able to help others and have an impact and help other people transform in both work, in their work, in businesses, and in life. And for me, it's just paying it forward because there were so many people who helped me. So I understand that, you know, I understand now that we can't do it alone, and it's not fair to hold our gifts back. 
because there's so many that can be served by by sharing them. There's so much to take away from this episode. It's jam-packed with takeaways. But I'm just going to focus on a couple. First, being a speaker and telling stories is a lot about three things. It's about empathy, authenticity, and uniqueness. Now, those sound like buzzwords, but they're all the important part of telling your story well on the stage. You have to be authentic. You have to tell your true self because if you're up there being fake, being someone else, there's no point to your story. In fact, it is what you are bringing to the table that is making that speech unique. You have to figure out a way to bear your soul in the right way. To understand that the audience has faced similar personal struggles that you have and to induce empathy in them. And after you're able to tell a great personal story, you have to put yourself in the audience's shoes and edit ruthlessly to figure out what is best for your audience. Make sure that your speeches are the things that connect with the audience the most. Every sentence in there should be there for a reason. Second, a big thing that keeps coming up again and again is that you can't make your stories for everybody. If you're creating something for the general population, then your speeches are just going to be bland. You're making speeches and stories and art for a particular group of people. And the way to know you're impacting an audience is when people aren't commenting on the technical skill of how well you tell stories. They are profoundly affected by the content of your story. And I'd like to reiterate what Melanie said at the end. All of you have something unique, have a personal story, have faced struggles that other people can learn from. And it is your responsibility to figure out what makes you who you are and to put that into all the art and speeches and things that you create. Because that is not only going to get the best work out of you, that is going to allow us as an audience to learn more and empathize with your journey. If you want to learn how to build these types of lazy habits and actually make them stick, or you want to build common lazy habits such as meditation and exercising, check out my free class on creating lazy habits that stick at EmbraceYourLazy.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.